Welcome back to Scory Time and a huge apology to start with. We know we've not been around enough in the last few months. We've all been really, really hectic with various things and it's just been a struggle to get together. However, we are back now. We're back with a vengeance and back with a bang. And we're going to start with a fantastic interview today, talking to someone who actually played on the latest soundtrack for No Time to Die. We've seen the film, different opinions. I loved it, absolutely loved it, and I really like the soundtrack, so I'm very excited to talk to somebody who actually played on it today. And then we're going to be back, hopefully next week, if not before, with a full review of the soundtrack with myself, Jason, and Gergay. So, we're back. We're looking forward to chatting all things Bond music, so sit back and enjoy this fantastic interview. Now, if you're familiar with the British brass scene, this man really needs no introduction. But if you're not someone who's familiar with the movers and shakers of brass players of the British music scene, then I'll give you a little bit of a backstory about today's guest. Mike Lovett is a trumpet player who really has risen to a hugely well-known prominence in the last 20 years. And he's really done everything that you can possibly imagine. Probably his most prominent claim to fame or most prominent thing that he's been working on in recent years is he's been the lead trumpet player with the John Wilson Orchestra. Um, And that's something that has really risen to great critical acclaim in things like the proms. If anybody follows the proms, you'd have seen the John Wilson Orchestra. And it really has taken off in the last 20 years. And Mike was a big, big part of that as playing lead trumpet in that. He also plays lead trumpet in the BBC Big Band and just to name a couple of film credits that he's done, he played on a few of the Harry Potter movies, um, the Marvel films, Captain America, Civil War, Iron Man 3, Avengers Endgame, he played on Love Actually, Lord of the Rings, Mamma Mia, Fantastic Beasts, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Madagascar, Chicago, and he's got some great Bond connections as well. He played on the James Bond BAFTA tribute. He played on a 2010 James Bond computer game. And some other James Bond links. He played on the uh, Carl Davis James Bond for Orchestra album, as well as the Shirley Bassey The Performance, Sheena Easton, I Can't Take My Eyes Off You, and Chrissy Hind, uh, he's worked with her. So he has had quite a few different James Bond connections. And of course, he's now played on three James Bond soundtracks. Tomorrow Never Dies and Die Another Day, back in the day with Derek Watkins, the famous James Bond trumpet player who played lead trumpet on pretty much every Bond film up to Skyfall. But in the latest edition, No Time to Die, he was booked to play lead trumpet for that particular session, which lasted a few weeks. So I was really excited to speak to Mike and get an insight into what it was like to play on this session. Well, let's hear the interview now, and I hope you enjoy this. I found it really fascinating. I hope you do. So, Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you so much uh, for joining us today. And I know you must be um, pretty relieved that finally you can talk about the fact that you were the fabulous lead trumpet on the latest James Bond film, No Time to Die, following in the amazing footsteps of Derek Watkins, who I know was a great friend and hero of yours, just like mine. And uh, so tell us about it. Are you are you pleased that you can finally talk about it? Yeah. Hi, Warren. It's great, great to talk to you about this. Um, I was very excited, of course, when I was asked to, to, to play on this film. And, of course, that was way back in, I think, when I was actually asked. It was 
November 2019 when they said we're going to be doing some sessions round about beginning of January time. In the end, I think it was February 2020 when we actually started to record because, I mean, you probably know more about this than me, but originally I think there was going to be a different composer. Uh, That's right, yeah. Dan Roma. Writing the soundtrack. That's it, yeah. And then, of course, that was that was kind of shelved and um, Hans Zimmer came in. So at the time we were recording, it was like we don't really say anything about... Um, what you're doing and there was a kind of code name for the film um can you tell us what the code name was i'm just trying to remember actually (laughs) um i should have looked that out on my on my recording form but um plenty of time to live (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) i don't think i'm just trying to remember what it was it was a weird name it was nothing like the title of a bond movie at all Mm. um and of course when you're doing a recording like that it's not like the old days when you get to see a bit of the film. You don't really see any of the film at all. Yeah. And we recorded the brass separately. Right. So we never actually did anything with the strings like or and the woodwinds. We were we it was just the brass, which was a big brass section. I mean, yeah. you know, we're talking about eight French horns, four trumpets. I think there was five trombones and tuba. And, you know, doubling Chimbasso, which is, for anyone that doesn't know, the Chimbasso looks like a massive radiator with a bell on the end of it. And um, a magnificent Owen Slade, of course, plays that. So when you hear those low, raspy brass sounds, basically it's like a tuba, but stretched out, and the bell actually faces forwards rather than up in the air. So you get this very direct, raspy sound. Yeah. Yeah, so we we recorded everything separately. The strings would probably um, think they did stuff like morning and afternoon or sometimes just morning and then we go in in the afternoon and we'd layer stuff on top. And we did it at Air Linda Studios, which is in Hampstead, which originally I think was George Martin put that studio together. Right. And it's an old, it's an old church. Yeah. And um, the great thing about recording in there is that you actually – see daylight because there's windows in it yeah you don't normally get that in a studio no no but the exciting thing for me was turning up at that studio was i had this flashback to 25 years ago when i was sat in more or less the same spot but sat next to Derek watkins playing on my very first ever uh bond soundtrack which was tomorrow never die yeah and I'll never forget that because it was like 10 a.m. on a Monday morning or something. And the first thing that we did was that fantastic sequence with the the BMW motorbike. Yes. It's in, it's, it's, is it in Thailand or somewhere? Saigon, I think. Can't remember. The helicopter and chasing. There, yeah, that's it. Yeah. There he is. He's got, the, he's got the lovely girl on the back of the bike and he's, he jumps across one building to another. Yeah. And... It's just that that sequence. Anybody that knows the music to that, it's one of the it's one of the big sort of Bond chase sequences, and so it was like everything was out there straight away. So we were straight into the the main theme, and of course it was David Arnold and and Nick Dodd's orchestration, and 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 we were back to the kind of how Bond films used to be orchestrated you know with lots of brass and 
it was just an amazing moment in my life that I'll never forget. Mm. You know, he hearing the bass trombone behind me sort of going, bam, bam, like this. And then there was myself, Derek Watkins, John Barkley and Steve Sidwell. Wow. All playing that, 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 uh, the, the, the main theme. Da, 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 da. All up the octave together. We weren't, it wasn't like two up and two down. We, you know, I said to Derek, what do you want me to do? And he said, just play everything where it is. He said, it's nearly all unison anyway. Apart from, he said, apart from when it goes really high and then you can stick it down the octave. I said, what do you mean by really high? He said, well, those double Bs, uh, you can play those down. I'll play them. <laughs> so it was just an, an amazing experience. And so to be back in that studio again, but this time, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't sitting in Derek's seat because nobody can do that. There's nobody in the world that can do that because everybody's a, their own player. And um, I actually, I think I got this film on the back of um, doing a, a film called Judy, which was a, a biopic about uh, Judy Garland. And Rennie Zellweger played Judy, anybody that's seen that film. Um, and I played lead trumpet on that. And... Uh, a few solos along with uh, Pat White, another amazing trumpet player. Um, and I think it was from doing that, working with some of the same people, that I got asked to play lead on, the, on, on this new Bond film. So I turned up there on the first day of this, like I say, excited about being in the same studio and everything. And I couldn't quite believe it that there I was playing lead on this film. But not being able to tell anybody about it, what you just said. So, just dial it back a little bit. I want to just pick up a couple of questions from what you've said. First of all, what's the what's the process for people listening that aren't musicians? You know, what when that phone rings, who rings you, and what are they saying? How does that come in, and that you find out you're going to be doing the James Bond film session? How does that come about? Um, well. I belong to a, a what's called a diary service and I have done for a number of years going back to the days when we had those things, answer phones at home with <laughs> little cassettes in, um, anybody that can remember those. And um, I used to rely on that being my answer service. But as you get bu busier and as things have gone in, you know, in the last sort of 20 years, people want an answer straight away mm. otherwise they'll just move on to somebody else so if you're already in a recording studio or you're already doing a gig or you're already doing a show you can't obviously pick the phone up and go yes i'm free in on the second week in february i can do all those dates but if you belong to a diary service the fixer with one phone call can call up the diary service and go is mike love it free on those on the on these dates is is Steve Sibwell free on these mm. dates or whoever they're asking, but they can make one phone call and and fix a whole orchestra more or less or at least a whole brass section. So the fixer for the for this film um, is a you know one of the 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 fixers that's been around for a long long time. Isabel Griffiths Limited. Ah, uh, yeah, she does um, she does all the all the sort of big films, doesn't she? Tend to really. Yeah, she's she's you know most of the films nowadays apart from the ones that record in hollywood of course yeah um if if they're done in london isabel Griffiths is her company is the is the is the fixing behind that so there's a group of girls that that uh, work for her isabel has now taken a back seat and, and um 
she has these people working for her and they they kind of look at i think apparently there's like kind of charts up of like oh yes so Mike Lovett plays lead, he does a bit of that, he does a bit of that. Then, And if all these lines sort of cross on your name, then sometimes you'll get the gig. But also it goes on your reputation. And, and I yeah. think on this particular time, somebody said to them, try and get Mike Lovett. So it goes from there to the, to the, um, the diary service. And like they'll, they'll send me an email or a text or they'll call me up. If it's something urgent, they'll call. Um, they they might say even now as we're speaking they might say oh uh, you, you're on at ten o'clock tomorrow morning mm. you know it, it could happen like that so they will actually take work in for me yeah uh, I I give them a list of people that maybe I don't want to work for <laughs> or, or 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 that they I'd like them to refer if so and so calls on yeah yeah for me but but if it's if it's if it's somebody like Isabel Griffiths. Uh, company that are calling up for me then they'll take that on because yeah. they know that that i like working for those people and yeah. um and and normally if they're calling up it's going to be something good yeah so at so, that stage was yeah, it that. was it a bond film that that came in when that came in was it clear that's what it was or would it have been just sessions not, for Isabel? not at first there was some chat about the very first session which was for the billy eilish song mm-hmm. the no time to die song and i was actually away when they wanted to do it yeah and it was something that i'd been booked for for a long time and i said i can't come back to do this first session which was just going to be the, the the title song so i said i you know i can't do it this session whatever it is i didn't know at that point that's what it was yeah and then they said, "Would it make any difference if you knew that it was the Bond, um, the Bond theme tune?" And I said, "Well, yes, but no." So I actually wasn't involved in the the theme song. Yeah, that was recorded in December two thousand nineteen. So that was almost like a little carrot dangling to say, yeah. "Come and if you do this, then you'll do the thing." So Tom Rees Roberts played played lead on that song see here's um, a, here's a just interjecting a little interesting point because there's a little bit of footage of what is tantamount to a full orchestra in the church uh with with the brass the strings and everything else that's floating around and they're playing some of the theme and yeah. you know the speculation over what that was and and i i thought maybe it was an unused cue because it's not on the soundtrack but now you've said what you've said that must have been a version of the song that they were recording that was maybe, you know, a particular um, orchestration that wasn't quite used in that way. Uh, because as you said, on the sessions, you never actually got everybody in the same room. So obviously they did for that sound, for that uh, title track, but not for the soundtrack. Yes, I think they did for the, the title track. Um, and and that was kind of how, how it came about for me. And then I was rather relieved that although I didn't play on that song, that... Um, they still wanted me to play lead on the actual soundtrack. Yeah. So I was able to to, to do that. And, of course, I had a, a great team around me. Um, Andy Crowley, who, of course, played he played first trumpet on Spectre and I think he played first trumpet, I think, also on Skyfall as well. He definitely did Casino Royale as well. I'm sure I've yeah. he's seen him in the video yeah. of that. Yeah. He's, he's, I mean, he, he's done, done loads, of, yeah. loads of films. And, of course, it's always good to have someone there who's who's from 
the other side um, of, of, of trumpet playing, um, who can just play the trumpet brilliantly, which of course he can. And of course, he's from the, the more classical side of things, uh, director of London Brass, and he's, he's appeared on so many different films. Yeah. Remember that Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy? Yes, uh, yeah. Uh, which they, re- they remade. Um, Andy played all the trumpet solos on that. And yeah. Amongst loads of other things. Yeah, tons of other Great, stuff, great yeah. play. So he was there next to me, so I knew that if there was something that maybe didn't suit me in a classical way, it's all in the right or the left arm. You can just pass it to, <laughs> to him and he, he, he would do that. Um, and then to my other side, I, I, I had Tom Reese Roberts, who, of course, he played Spectre and, yeah. and anybody yeah. that's into high note trumpet playing will know that he's got very good high chops and he played those top G sharps at the end of the... Uh, yeah, on the Thames uh, when they're chasing the helicopter. Yeah, it's a bit of a little bit of a Thunderball quote in there, actually. But that's it. Yeah. Chateau, yeah. a bit of Chateau so flight. That, yeah. was, that was Tom that did that. And then we had another Tom, Tom Walsh, who's, who's you know, a, a, a young trumpet player, but nevertheless um, completely experienced in studio playing and, and, and a and great jazz player, great arranger himself, great musician. So, yeah, so he was on there as well. And then there was a couple of sessions that Tom Reese Roberts couldn't make for, for one reason or another. And uh, Louis Dowdswell came in. So for me, it was like um, those two guys, Tom Walsh and Louis, of course, I taught both of them at the Academy, so um, the Royal Academy of Music. So it was really nice, actually, to be in that situation. And, you know, they could have sat where I was sat and done a, a brilliant job, but um, it was me that had been asked to do it, and I'm there, and and they were very generous in their support to me, and and that's what you need in a trumpet section, as you know. Yeah, you need. Yeah. You don't want somebody sitting there thinking, "Well, I should be sat." There, yeah, no, know? absolutely. Or yeah, you want to you want to feel that you've got the support of your colleagues around you, yeah. and um, and then then that's when you play at your best. Mm, you know, when, I, when I used to do all that work with the in the John Wilson Orchestra which was really tough and you know really hard music most of the time and my head was on the chopping block but I knew that I was surrounded by people that weren't thinking oh I should be sat there they were thinking they were rooting for what I was yeah. doing they wanted yeah. me to play well and yeah. and therefore you, you as you know you pick up on that yeah. from around you and then you play better yeah um and some people are, some people you play next to have actually got that ability Morris Murphy was one, of course, the great, great Morris Murphy and Derek Watkins. They were both people that if you sat next to them, they would bring your playing up to their level. Well, <laughs> almost, but they, they'd make you play better. Yeah. And that's, I think that's a sign of a true great first or lead trumpet. Yeah. It's not about high notes. It's about sound and time and, and having that ability to give you a group hug. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and it, that's it's it. That's that's what never it's more about. so than on a Bond film as well. You know, you've got to not only as with a Bond film, you've got to not only lead the section, but you've got to in in places lead the whole orchestra, haven't you? Yeah, that's it. And there's that feeling of it's like you don't want to feel it like it's you, you're trying to pull this thing along. You you're trying to feel it like it's all coming with you. It's almost yeah. like nudging you along. Yeah, and that's that's the feeling you should have really. And in the trumpet section, in Bond music, I think since the beginning, 
there's always been quite a bit of unison stuff. Yeah. So there's got to be that sensibility as well of, of playing things in unison and not going, I'm the best one here. I can play this better than anybody else. It's about the, the ego is the, is the section together. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, it, then it sounds amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So, Mike, what about the secrecy around this then? Because tell us, talk us through the stages of that. You know, what, what stage are you kind of told uh, at pain of death you've got to shut your mouth? And at what stage have you been able to actually go, hey, that was me? Well, you know, I told like, I told my wife that I was doing it and <laughs> and I told my kids that I was doing it and um, a few close people. But I, I always made sure I said, don't tell anybody. There, there, there was, I think we did sign something to say, you know, we're not not to talk about this, not to let anything out to the press. But of course, we didn't know anything to do with the plot or no. the, 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 move, the movie itself or what was going to happen. I think just going back to when I was saying that we were recording separately, we actually did some sessions where we did them in the other studio. So the main studio at, at Lindhurst is is a big it's the main part of the church main body of the church but at the back it's a smaller studio studio one and it's a lot drier acoustic in there it's more like a traditional studio and we did we recorded the same cues that we'd recorded in the big hall with that's got a big acoustic yeah uh, we did it in the other because i think hans zimmer probably wanted to you know try his soundscapes try the different sounds to yeah. see what it'd be like would it sound better with a slightly recorded in a closer situation? Yeah. You can really pick that up, I think, in the Cuba track. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to that one yet, because it actually sounds like there's two or three different trumpet sections within that piece, doesn't it? You know, obviously, you can tell yes. you've recorded that and they've, they've kind of linked it all in. And you can hear where it sort of flips from one section to another. Yes, and I think um, that, uh, although I've not actually seen the film yet, sadly, but uh, that particular section, I'm sure, is the bit that we did actually manage to get into the box, into the control room, where, of course, they do have the the film showing. Oh, OK. Um, without any sound effects or anything like that. So yeah. we just had the, the, music, the music playing on there. And um, is there a dam or something? Uh, big, damn no! Maybe so that, I don't no, think, that's a different bit. Yeah, it's, no, the bit, this bit, a great bit, when he falls down over. Oh no, that's in that the open. Yeah, that's in Matera. That's some something else. But the bit, the work, the Cuba tracks when they're. I mean, it sounds a bit obvious. They're in, when they're in Cuba and there's a whole bar yes. scene. Um, right. With with Anadamas's character, if you remember, that's when that track's all playing. Yes. Right. If you yeah. saw any of that, so we, but, did, we saw some little bits. Yeah. Um, but and of course, as things happen in in the studio, occasionally you know people might get their mobile phone out, and make a little video, you know, and, and eventually they get kind of leaked out onto onto YouTube or whatever. But none of that took place. I think we probably would have been shot. If we'd done that. <laughs> 
Um, we, uh, we, when we got to the towards the end of the sessions, certainly um, the sessions that we did in Studio One, the smaller studio with John Altman, who I think John kind of arranged some of the music for that Cuba scene that you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Of course, had the addition of Arturo Sandoval on as well. Yeah, we'll talk about him in a minute. Um, yeah. yeah, and um, so I think, um, yeah, the, those. When we got back into the other studio and we were taking pictures at the end of the last day or something, there was a big thing of like, you know, don't none of these are to get onto social media. Yeah, and 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 that was and that was until. You know, last week, whenever when the film was released, was that so, was that um, stressed more than other films that you've worked on? I mean, I guess it, it must be much more heightened than than normal. Or is I mean, I I know that there's always that element with any any film you work on, they don't want to leak. But with a Bond film, did you feel it was that the stakes were higher? I think, yes, even more so for this one, I think. Yeah. Than when I've done one before. I mean, I haven't been on a Bond film for a number of years. Well, social and media so, wasn't really such a thing then and mobile phones no, as well wasn't. either. You're going, yeah, you're, you're so. sh- we're showing our age here, Mike, when we're going back to the, <laughs> yes. uh, tomorrow never dies yeah. and die another day. They had, <laughs> they, they had invisible cars, but they didn't really have so much social media. <laughs> no, that's very true. That's very true. And um, so, yeah, I think you're right. It, 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 it was something that was stressed upon us that you know we weren't to sort of let it out everywhere yeah but like i said i, I told some close friends and and they said well what 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 happens i've, I've no idea well why don't you have any di- idea you know you, don't you see the film when you're doing it no no we don't see the film the conductor you, you, sees you, sees the film oh does he really but, uh, yeah who conducts I mean, you I, by I, the I, way I, who conducts you was that okay for, or? For, for this film it was it was a guy called matt dunkley who uh, is is an, an arranger and com- composer himself for film, TV, music, and he's he's lovely guy. He's he's very efficient. Knows how to work in a studio. Knows about trumpet because I think he he was a trumpet player himself. So he was very he was very up on, oh yeah, okay, chops need a rest now or whatever, and and ran the sessions brilliantly. And he knew what what Hans Zimmer wanted, and I think they'd worked together several times in, in the past. Yeah. And, of course, it was Matt that actually worked on that Judy Garland film as well. He did all the arrangements for that. So, again, I think that was the, that's how I, how I came to be on, on this. Yeah. He, he, does, he does a lot of work in the movie world of music, so I suppose he was a perfect choice, and Hans Zimmer would probably choose him because of that very reason that he's he's experienced in that kind of thing so was Hans Zimmer there then was he in the in the studio giving you sort of feedback or how did that yeah he he was I remember him being there on particularly on one session in the big hall in the in the big studio Um, and he actually came out because there was a couple of moments where I suggested a few things on like that'd be nice with a you know with a typical Bond plunger Wow, 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 yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So you know, I demonstrate something to him, and then and they go, yeah, you, you liked that, so yeah, we do that. And there was one cue which we did, and uh, I can't remember which one it was, because when you do a cues for a film, they're just numbers. You yeah. don't know 
you know, it's just a number associated with the reel of the film. Yeah, I don't um, think a lot so of people realise that the names the names get given out often by the record companies or some just some someone somewhere that just comes yeah. up with a name. Not even the composer no. does, but you just literally get That's like it. one two M or something like that, don't you? Yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. You, you 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 don't know what what it is really, and sometimes you do get names, but not not on this. And we were doing this cue. And it had some of this stuff and a bit of high trumpet. And we did a take and then Hans Zimmer came out into the into the studio. Yeah. And he stood right in front of the trumpets with his with his mobile phone and he and he and he and he videoed us. We did it again and he videoed us and I hope I'd he didn't put it on social media. <laughs> yeah, I hope he didn't. I don't know what he did with it, but um yeah, I'd love to I'd love to get it. I, I shall have to ask uh, Matt Dunkley if if he's got it and yeah. if he has then. Not that I'll put it on social media, but yeah. it'd be nice to have it. Well, you can to, now. It's out there now. I can now. Yeah. yeah. Yes, it was It was that, going back to your original question of keeping it under wraps, it was hard to to do it because like, we were all so excited. Yes, about the fact yeah. That it was a Bond movie. I, I wanted um, to ask you two, then, question, two questions, actually. The, the, I don't know whether there's anything in it, but I picked up on you saying that you knew about Dan Roma. Was was Dan Roma still attached to the project when you were booked for it, or did you just know about that? It was another composer, and no, I, I knew that there was another composer, but we, we didn't know who it was. Is that when you I when didn't... you when you were booked though, or you just you just knew when you arrived that there had we, been we one? Knew, we, no, we knew that that that, that had been a change of composer, but we didn't know who the new composer was going to be. Yeah, um, and and so I mean, I w- I was surprised. I don't know why I was surprised because you know Hans Zimmer's a, uh, obviously he's written music for so many yeah. amazing films, um, and he'd never done a Bond soundtrack before. Mm. But first, I wondered. I wonder if they got David Arnold back. I think we all did. Yeah, yeah, it was Hans Zimmer, and it was like, oh wow, okay. Wonder what he's going to do with it. <laughs> yeah. Was it? Were um, you surprised? Yeah. Did you? Did he? Did he do what you thought he was going to do with it? How did it kind of meet um, your expectations? It, well, again, until until I've you know I've heard bits of the soundtrack and I have not seen the film, so yeah, some of the sounds that are there I think are very hands in. Yeah, but the, the, there was definitely flavors of traditional Bond kind of sounds yeah. in there as well. Yeah, although, although as the trumpet section. We never really got to play, you know, the big thing. No, <laughs> which everybody has come to come to sort of uh, expect. The, the the only thing that that I remember doing very clearly was, of course, the gun barrel opening, which we did. Yeah, we we recorded that, and when we did that, it was like, yeah, we really are playing on a Bond movie now. So, <laughs> um, and uh, I mean, I don't know whether they used that, but uh, we did record it. Yeah, there was a gun barrel. But I, yeah. it's interesting you're saying because, you know, well, I was one of the, I was one of the um, the close people that you did tell. I've been keeping it a secret for a long time. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, I know that you would refer to the James Bond theme as for you as a trumpet player. And I'm the same. Ba-da, ba-da, ba-da-da. Whereas for yeah. it's a sort of a debate, isn't there, whether that's that or the Bond theme's the guitar tune. And of course, well, there's yeah. loads of guitar tune in this film, in this soundtrack. But yeah, as you say it, there's not really any, certainly not anywhere. It's all where it's sort of, everything's opened up and you get that middle um, swing section, you know, yeah. almost John Barry, dare I say it, sorry, Monty Norman, but you know, the, yeah. the yeah. debatable moment, but um, you know, the one that I think we associate with John Barry sound, 
you, you never really got to yeah, do that, as you say, yeah. did you? No, we didn't. And there were little tiny hints yes. here and there, you yeah. know, that kind of minor, that minor and then diminished thing. It, it, it sort of came in and, and went out. And all the way through, like I said, I was trying to, I was trying to inject some things in, you know, uh, with some sounds that I thought was appropriate. I was mm. almost sort of looking up into the air and into the sky and saying, uh, what would you do, Derek? You oh, know? And then I thought, yeah. actually, I should just play this, you know, with, with that nod to, to Derek. But as I said earlier, nobody can replace Derek Watkins. It was just me doing my bit. But having sat next to him, I, I, I kind of... I had that experience, yeah, um, and so, and so I could, I could just give that little little nod, yeah. I, I mean, just going back to that tomorrow never dies, and recorded that, and it was nineteen ninety six or whatever, and and it was his playing, sat next to him, that he was at the very top of his game, yes, yeah, especially on especially on that film, yes, and it was astonishing. I mean, one take, he would do stuff in one take and it would be perfect every yeah. time. And and he didn't even think about it. It was just, he felt, I think he felt very comfortable in that chair. I think he'd done it for so many years and he he just knew they wanted him. They yeah. wanted him there. Yeah. And, and I think when we get to that stage of our playing life, I mean, I mentioned the, the John Wilson Orchestra and when I played first trumpet in that, I felt that I was very comfortable in that orchestra yeah. because because I knew that John wanted me there. Yeah, I knew the way I played was what he wanted for that orchestra. Yeah, and so in a way that makes you play better. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Derek Derek was in that in in that spot then, going back then, but this time uh, it was me just trying to go. Okay, right, it's my turn now, so I'm I'm going to do it like this. And and I suppose I was slightly disappointed that maybe I didn't get some of those, you know, real heavy duty bits to play. But I think there's a couple of moments in the film where we get to shine a bit. Yeah, absolutely. But absolutely. it's such a long time ago, I, I can't I can't remember it all. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame you haven't got. I just got... can't wait to see the film. Yeah, I know you were saying before we came on that you were going to see it at the weekend, but you had to change your plans because of, uh, of illness. But going back to the recording, did you do much kind of adjustment as you were going? Was there, you know, was there a lot of times when you were kind of trying something and. Uh, conductor or hands or whoever's in the stu- in the box would come in and say actually let's try it like this was there much of that sort of going rewrites on on the on the fly a bit but not as much as i thought there would be they seemed to be really settled and sort of prepared on what they wanted yeah. they kind of knew what they wanted which is fantastic because yeah. it, it, i mean apart from those few little bits where i'd say that would sound good on plunger what do you think yeah and then i play a bit and they go yeah okay we'll do that there was a few bits where we were doing kind of atmospheric kind of noises like you know yes like i know the track very you mean. very notes and yeah. and lots of tonguing things like very fast tonguing yeah um and 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 but but not exactly as notated it would be like pick whatever rhythm you want to do so you could you could it was improvising in some way, yeah. But it, but it was orchestrated improvising, yeah. If if that makes any sense. So in that respect, they played around with those things a bit, yeah. Well, maybe try one where you don't play as many notes or something like that. So 
There's one of those. those there's bits. one of those bits where you play just a little fraction of the Bond theme. I noticed up really high. I don't know if you remember that. It's just like a little couple of notes of it uh, in right. one of the tracks. Yeah, I don't. You'd have to listen, yeah. hear it when you'd hear it back now. So long ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd be listed out for that. The hard thing, of course, having recorded it, is is when I do see it, is actually watching and enjoying the film rather than just listening to the music. So yeah. I'll have to I'll have to listen to the soundtrack properly before I before I go and see the film and then I I won't be tuning into that so much. Yeah, I did that exactly that before I um before I went I listened to the soundtrack and then went cuz I'm the same. You know, and, and the thing is the first thing everyone asks me when I come out of a film is what do you think of the soundtrack and you you want to actually enjoy the film. So you Yeah. You know, it sort of depends where you are what sort of soundtrack it is. I mean, some of the John Barry ones leap out the screen at you whereas you know, there's parts of this where I think it it really does that, but there's parts when it's just, you know, in the mix and you're not really yeah, absorbing yeah. it. And there's so yeah. much taken with the plot on this one as well. Yeah, yeah. But one of the things I just wanted to to pick up, you know, you're mentioning about the 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 size of the orchestra ready because the the sleeve notes on the, the lineup goes on for pages on this i don't think i've ever seen and there's been a little bit of chat on the socials about how uh, zimmer needs a massive orchestra to make his sound because i think on the uh, listings there's 19 horns listed 12 trombones you know it's a huge orchestra but as you're saying you know because i mean how long were you recording for because it's what people need to understand is that you know this goes on for a long period of time and not everyone can do every single day and i guess as well i, I don't know whether you want to talk a bit about this covid and isolation probably plays into all of this kind of stuff as well oh and i wouldn't have yeah, done well, that of course because it was before wasn't it, it? it yeah it was just be, it was just before just before so it was like beginning of february 2020 so yeah um yeah you you absolutely correct in the fact that not everyone does all the sessions. As far as the horns were concerned, the French horns, I think that there were probably some sessions where they only had maybe four or six horns, right? And then others where they had eight, and of course those those would would change. So yeah, you get your nineteen or twenty different players. Yeah, and how nice that they're all credited. Yes, that's, that's great. And I think in the trumpets, I, I already mentioned that Louis Dowdswell came in for some sessions, so um, his name's down. So people would would probably think, oh, they had five trumpets on this. Yeah. But actually, at any one time there was only four trumpet parts, and and the same with the trombones. I think there were various trombone players that came in, but I think I think Andy Wood played first trombone on on the whole film. Mm-hmm. You get that occasionally somebody can't make the whole thing but yeah i think generally if they if you're going to get a lead player or a first player they want that person to play on the on the whole soundtrack and of course french horn wise it's richard watkins who's if you've been to the cinema in the last <laughs> 10 years probably most of the films that you'll have seen will have him on first horn he's he's just he's missed a session in in, yeah. in london for films and the most remarkable French horn player. So he was he was there on ev- everyone. So I was in very illustrious company. <laughs> so how long were you recording for in the end? Do you remember? So I think it was probably over a period of two weeks. Not every day. Yeah. Um and and some days, like I said earlier, the, the strings might be in for um, an AM and PM session, and then uh, the brass would come in just for the evening. 
yeah for three or four four hours in the evening yeah and we'd layer stuff on top of the strings that were already down yeah they do this as well to create some kind of separation and of course especially with somebody like Hans Zimmer who's so much about the, the tonal colors and the and the soundscape that he's creating I think that he probably and, and the people that work with him like to have control over over how much trumpet they've got rather yeah. than trumpet coming all over the string mics. Or yeah, I just want to dial it. into that a little bit more for a bit more detail for anyone that doesn't maybe understand. So what you're saying is that they divide up the sections, so literally record the strings as one section, the brass as another section, and percussion, so that they have that much more control in the in the mixing afterwards, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 exactly right, and and this happens in most films nowadays, and a lot of recordings. You might you might play it through as as a complete orchestra once, and then they do what they call stemming, and it is to give so much control over editing, over how much you know where where the brass or the strings sit in the mix in the film you know where where they positioned within the the audio picture the soundscape of the whole thing and yeah it's become it's become kind of commonplace really in fact going back to richard watkins the horn player um i remember a few years back doing a harry potter film not not with john williams but with uh, nicholas hooper and um, we were doing this thing called stemming. And, of course, the strings did their bit. The woodwinds did their bit. And then the only bit of brass was the solo French horn. So we're all in Abbey Road Studio One and, and the strings record, the woodwinds do theirs. And there's Richard left to play this horn bit on his own. So he plays it and he plays it beautifully. It's like, you know, as he does, just perfect, one take. And there's a bit of silence afterwards. And um, and then they said, oh, Richard, can you come into the control room? And he walked down past us. And as he came past, I said, fantastic, Richard. You know, and we gave him a little bit of a clap. And he went into the control room. He was in there for about 10 minutes. Yeah. And he, ke- and he came out. And as he came past, I said, do they, do they like it? Do they think it was? He said, uh, well, no, they played me the, the, the sample you know, which they'd used to, to sort of um, get an idea of what it's going to be like. They played me the sample and said, could I sound more like that? <laughs> like the computer so, sample, oh, God. Yeah, like the computer sample. So so um, this stemming thing doesn't always doesn't always play out well, I don't think. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot to be said for people all playing music at the same time. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Maybe have a little more of a general conversation on film film music in a second. But I want to ask you, when you're dubbing your parts in, you know, what what's that process? Because obviously you wear cans, you wear headphones, so you can hear um, something. I, I, I mean, I guess the absolute minimum you're going to hear is a click track and then the conductor in front of you as well. But what else did you yeah. have coming through your headphones when you're laying down your parts? The click track is is a must, of course, and for anybody that doesn't understand that, um, the click track is is literally um, it's like a time code, really, so that they can precisely time the music to the the, the action in the film. But also, it's so that if we're all recording separately, then we can all be in exactly the same place. Yeah, it's like having it's like having an an onboard metronome, and um, it's very useful especially when you're reading because when you record something especially like a bond film you you're having to rec- you're having to read the music and compute it and play it yeah. perfectly the first time 
really. And and you know you don't have those many goes at cues. You you probably, you know, if you do three three takes on a cue, that's quite a lot. Yeah. And so that's something you always have to tune into. The the headphones are on there for that. Using a click track is like reassembling a puzzle afterwards and the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle you're one piece and they all fit together perfectly if you've got a click track without it it's like trying to fit a puzzle together that where the pieces are all the wrong shape and size yeah that's that's very good yeah that's a really good one um so yeah the click track is 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 the thing that we first sort of tune into and then of course we have to have something pitch wise that so we're kind of in tune with everybody else and so they normally will will play down the cans and give us a level that we want. Um, they'll give us a level of maybe the strings if they've put something down. Or indeed, if there's a, an electronic track down, there might be some kind of synth uh, sounds or electric guitars, or there might be a rhythm section, there might be drums, there might be a bass guitar, whatever it is. Yeah. So we get we get a kind of general mix and sometimes we if it's something we've got to play really mi- rhythmically we might say can you give us less click and more drums or can you give us more bass uh, and less guitar so we can tell the engineer to to send different things to our headphones yeah so we can we can get what we need to play whatever the music is we've got in front of us. And again, like I said, it's because we've got to work quickly. Yes. And musicians in London are, are renowned for their ability to turn, you know, something that's the ink still wet into a recorded piece of music in no time whatsoever. Yeah. And which that's why a lot of, you know, movies are recorded in the UK. Yeah. Uh, in London. What was the vibe like amongst the guys in, you know, on the session, the guys around you? I mean, was everybody, you know, excited to be there? I mean, you've kind of hinted that already, but I mean, what about the music you're playing? Was it, was it, was it popular? Was the score popular? Did you think we're, I mean, it's maybe difficult for you to comment. I don't know. Or be be honest or be, you can be diplomatic if you want. No, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I'll, I'll say that I was personally was surprised with, with the music and, and I thought, you know, music doesn't stay static. It can't do it. And, and different people's ideas of what a Bond soundtrack should sound like. And that's why with every composer that's that's worked on a Bond soundtrack, it's it's always sounded slightly different. And they've exaggerated certain elements of the Bond sounds, if you like. And I thought I thought Hans Zimmer did it magnificently, really, from what, what I thought. I was the only thing I, I thought was maybe a bit more, a few more melodies with the trumpets. Yeah. Yeah, but then uh, you would uh, think that, wouldn't you? <laughs> I would think that because I was something playing. I agree. And I wanted to be there. You know, I wanted to be there going, no, ah, that's me playing that tune. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but and I think generally, I think everybody kind of thought the same thing. Yeah. That, I mean, he's a master. He knows what he's doing. He's, yeah. he's, there's no doubt about that. He's a yeah. craftsman and he's he knows that side of music writing like like nobody else really you know currently i mean a lot of the young composers that are writing for films nowadays they're all trying to write like Hans zimmer <laughs> yes yeah that's, yeah that's who they want to write write like and you know that 
there isn't any sort of young John Williams kind of uh, writers coming out now. No, or John um, Barry. It'll, it'll or John Barry. It'll it, it'll come round. It'll come round again. It's just it's just where we are in in the world with everything. But, what you know, what do you? And, I mean, what and, do you think on a wider thing? Because I mean, I think a lot of us feel like, especially the the. I mean, obviously, I've got a foot in either camp as a musician and as a fan. And but I, I know talking to a lot of film school fans, the feeling is that melodies have died and they're not being written like they were particularly theme tunes i mean when was the last really great theme tune like a superman or a star wars or a james bond thing long long time it feels since we've had that but you know is that something that that you kind of notice a lot as a musician and um i mean do you think it will come back around it feels to me like it's been driven by the industry rather than driven by the composers but maybe i'm wrong i don't know if the things have changed the way that they the time they get and the way that they get to write well, I think, you know, in the in in the last twenty years, especially, there's a different kind of writer. It isn't somebody that sits with a piece of paper and a pencil. It, it, it's somebody that sits at a computer. Mm. And that story I told of can you sound more like the 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 mock up, more like the sample sound? That's a prime example of you get some things that are orchestrated by somebody who's learnt how to orchestrate on a computer by listening to sample sounds. Yeah. They haven't learnt it to say, right, okay, this is the this is the normal range of a B flat trumpet. This is the normal range of a violin. This is what this is what a flute does. You know, they haven't had that. They haven't had they haven't learnt the craft properly, mm. I don't think. I'm old fashioned and but I can be. I don't mind being old fashioned. And I think that has changed how things are written nowadays. So you will turn up sometimes and some things are written. And I think, why have they written that? Because, okay, you might be able to do that on a, with a sample trumpet, but you, you know, I don't think I can play that. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. You always try, you always try. Yeah. And then you, if it doesn't sound very good, then you try and convince them that maybe it should be a different way. Yeah, and um, Mike, I just want to make for anyone listening, it's not that you're not capable of playing it. What you're saying is it's not physically possible to play it on the instrument, right? Yes. Yeah, it's 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 I'm talking about like playing really high notes yeah. pianissimo. Or, yeah. And you know, you always get that thing where they they come over the the the, the headphones from the control room. They, um yeah, trumpets, can you just creep in on that one? <laughs> well, it's not a it's not a flute. It's yeah. not a violin. It's a trumpet, yeah, and the, there has to be a start to the note where the lips start to vibrate. Yeah. I'm sorry, but that's what happens. Yeah, um, and whenever I hear somebody say, "Can you just creep in there?" I always sort of go, "Oh, <laughs> I'll get that, get that kind of hot feeling coming over me." But uh, that's nobody asked me to be a trumpet player. That's it was my choice. Yeah. <laughs> So um, yeah, that's something that that uh, has, has changed. This, this computer thing has changed it. And but if you look back to the, like the, you know, the late sixties and the early seventies, when the the kind of big orchestral film score had died, it, it wasn't happening at all. And then it was like John Williams kind of was almost well he was rediscovered because i mean he was working at 20th century fox when he was 18 or something writing amazing music just like andre previn was when he was at at mgm working as a 17 year old writing not only um uh, composing but arranging as well for some of the big 
movie MGM movie musicals and working on things like high society and all these kinds of things. Um, but uh, yeah, then of course, along comes John Williams, even though he's now an established composer um, and, and, and writes, starts writing, you know, the likes of Jaws and of course, Star Wars and, and, and then E.T. and all these magnificent scores, mm. which, which reignited that, should we call it fashion, to have going back to kind of the Korngolds and, and all those kind of composers that were writing serious music for films. Yeah. And, and I think now we're somewhere. Do you not feel John, John Barry played a part in that probably even before Williams? I know that, that Williams well, did it on a bigger did, scale yes. as the orchestra, you know. Yes, yeah, I think, and and I think, yeah, John Barry did, and and maybe, and and don't take this the wrong way, anybody that's a John Barry fan, but in in a more commercial way, yeah, and I, and I don't I don't mean that in any less an art, yeah, but it but but he he was he was about, mind you, John Williams was as well, providing a hook for somebody, and a hook is something that is is something that sort of gets like an earworm, it gets in there and it stays with you, so. You know, everybody knows that that that, that Star Wars da 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 dee da. That's the hook for that, and and whatever whatever it is John Barry definitely had his hook. But he, I suppose, he used sounds. He used he used colours. So yeah. that's, that ties yeah. him into that ties him into Hans Zimmer. Yeah, really, or ties Hans Zimmer into John Barry because yeah. you know how many things how many things do you hear? In, in popular music or in film music, there might be one bar or there might be one little chord progression and you think, that's John Barry. Yeah, yeah. And you, you hear that quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. Even amongst, like I'm saying, all these people that have learned to write on a computer, you still hear that. That influence is there. So, um, yes, I would agree with you, um, but I'm talking more about a kind of classic orchestral writing. In other words, a, a, an orchestration along the, the, the lines of Rimsky-Korsakoff. Yeah, Ravel, massive or, orchestration. Um, yeah. Yeah, that Huge kind orchestra. of thing, rather than... Well, John John know. Barry's was, was much smaller, wasn't it? I mean, it was on a smaller yes. scale orchestra and... You know, it's always one you have to skirt around this issue, but the fact is John Barry's music is a lot more simple than John Williams's music. That isn't a criticism, it's just a fact, you know. No, yeah, yeah. I suppose that's what I was trying to say when I said it was commercial. Maybe slightly, apart from the hook, slightly more accessible to, to, to your average person mm. than maybe some of the intricacies of, you know, you wouldn't get, the average person that goes to see Star Wars saying, "Oh, did you hear? Did you hear those alto flutes in that bar there, or whatever?" Yeah. Um, where, where somebody that listened to John Barry, they wouldn't, they, they, they wouldn't actually um, even know what an alto flute was, uh, and, and even though John Barry would probably have an alto flute playing to get some of the sounds that yeah. he had, yeah. you know, along with strings or something. So, yeah, I think you're right that there's, there's, there's an effect, and it all happened in the 70s and it started to come back and then of course we reached the 80s and then the 90s and i suppose in the 90s was when i started to get involved in in you know occasionally recording film soundtracks so i was on that the the, the last bit of that and i've seen it change and your original question of like playing tunes and stuff that 
yeah there aren't there aren't those many big theme tunes anymore um and and i think in the 1980s you had like morris murphy it's not a very good film but the closing credits of and a great tune the cliffhanger oh i love this it's a great i think it's a good film it's popcorn flick but the music's brilliant Yeah, yeah yeah the music is fantastic um and and Morris, even though it's the uh, the LPO, yes, um, they 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 got Morris Murphy in to play first trumpet because I think um, they wanted his sound. Trevor Trevor Jones, who who's the composer? I can't uh, think. They wanted they wanted yeah. Morris anyway. They wanted, they wanted his sound, so he he played on that. Yeah. So the 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 themes are maybe they'll come back. Maybe there will be maybe there will be this kind of turn around and we'll rebirth again because i think music goes like that really mm, yeah round circle, slightly, yeah but, you know and and fashions change and it'll come back yeah well mike i'm i i've got to ask you i mean are you what about bond 26 are you going to keep your fingers crossed make sure the diary service know that if that phone call comes in that yes. uh, <laughs> no matter what Absolutely. tour you're on this time mike you've got to do the theme tune yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, of course, I'd, I'd I'd love to say, well, I played on five Bond movies or whatever it is, and, and I played lead on two. I never go to myself, that's my gig. Mm. Um, I, I've never done that with anything, maybe. I don't think it's my gig until I'm actually sat there doing it. Yeah. So maybe we'll have another conversation if I am sat there doing it again uh, for the next one. That sounds um, good. But I must make sure I go and see this one before yeah. the next one. <laughs> Do go and go spoiler free. You'll love it. It's yeah. br- I thought it was yeah. a really good film. I think it's um, divided a few opinions in a couple of camps, but yeah. um, overall I think everybody's thought it's an absolute belter. Um, yeah. right, one, actually, one more question before we do sign off. Did you pick up on some of the previous songs, the references and, and things from previous scores that were in there? Yes. Um, I'm just trying to... Re- uh, remember i think one one of the last things that that we recorded was was a was one of the original songs wasn't it um we did we have all you did we have all the time we the have world. all the time, time yeah. the world yeah. yeah yeah i remember that being there but also a few little subtle things majesty I, I couldn't say and a majesty secret yeah. service yeah 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 little things like that and and i thought those were really great touches actually mm yeah ob- Did- obviously it t- obviously it ties in with the um with with the story well, you wait and see. Oh. See what you think. Yeah. See what you think. Did 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 you did the guys and the other guys realise that that's what there was happening? And did did anyone say to you, oh, you know, when they were recording it, did they come in and say, oh, by the way, we're doing this because of this or anything? Or was you just literally it's just the notes on the page and you play it and you're like, oh, I know what this is. No, it it it, it was they, they they said, oh yes, well, there's there's these bits from these other films and other other scores, but they didn't say why yeah there was there was no explanation as to why those were in there and and we we're all going like what do you think that is why do you think that is <laughs> you know we go we'd, we'd we'd finish the finish the session and you know over a pint of beer would sort of have a little debrief about what we thought about things and 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 um that was always a thing what do you think that's for there do you think do you think we'll get to play this do you think we'll get to play that and there's always that kind of excitement which is really it's great because you don't always get that on a on a, a film soundtrack, and 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 isn't it wonderful that really, you know, talking about 
James Bond movies, isn't it wonderful that it's become such a, the music has become such a massive part, has always been a massive part of, but it's, it's yeah. stayed and it's almost, it's almost grown to, you know, even bigger, it's bigger than it ever has been. Yeah. The, the music. And especially for trumpet players, thanks to the you know De Derek, of course, and 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 all the other guys that have played trumpet on Bond movies, in, in, including you know Tony Fisher and 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 um, and Greg Bowen and even Bobby Pratt way back in the in the first film. So you know, great a great line of trumpet players, and I feel very honoured to be one of those. Yes, yes. All right, one last, last question, and then we will wrap up, okay? And I just thought, I thought of yeah. this as you were saying. I thought it'd be interesting to for people to hear it, because anyone listening to this will have seen the film, and of course you haven't, and you've played the music, and you've probably picked up on other things. So I'm going to go, because we're on camera here, obviously this is going to be only audio, so I'm going to go completely... Um, straight-faced and, and and reactionless tell me what you think what you picked up on from the sessions what you think happens any sort of little bits of, of plot points any kind of major events you thought might happen what do you think the film's about what do you think the story's about well i think because covid happened and and they decided to postpone the film postpone the film i wondered whether the actual subject of the film was quite close to what we've actually been living uh, over the last uh, 20 months or whatever. And, 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 and that is obviously a, a pandemic and some kind of virus takeover of the world. Maybe that's part of the plot. Who knows? And as, as for, you know, we're all sort of going, what do you think is going to happen to Bond? You know, what's, is he, you know, no time to die. Is he going to, is he going to finally die? Are they going to actually kill him off and will the next bond be a you know somebody else another name but it's still a bond movie well it, could it be a female bond who knows <laughs> i'll react with that one i'm shaking my head no <laughs> <laughs> no so um those are some of the thoughts that that went through through my head and yeah the main thing was kind of what is going to happen to to bond and as with all of the, the you know the films Daniel Craig's been involved in, he's he's been very close to coming to a sticky end. <laughs> yeah. So um, you know, especially in his films, and and obviously they've gradually got grittier and and more threatening to Bond. Yeah. Bond was always you know, it, whatever happened to him, he'd just slip in straight in his bow tie yeah. and get up again. Yeah. Yeah. But where, but of course with Daniel Craig that hasn't been the case. Be interested to see if he gets badly injured or that kind of stuff. I'm really excited to, just just to see it really, and yeah. and, and like you, you said, there have been a few kind of mixed thoughts on the film, but most of the people I've I know that have seen it, they haven't given me any spoilers, so that's good. But they they they've said it's great. And my sister went to see it, and she's she's not like a mass. She's a massive Daniel Craig fan. Yeah, she said. It was well worth waiting for. She said it was yes. fantastic. She said I'd yeah. go and see it two or three more times. Oh, definitely. Please. I've seen it twice already, and I will definitely be seeing it at least once or twice more before it finishes in cinema. It's brilliant. Definitely go and see it, Mike. Look, thank you so, yeah. so much for your very oh, generous time, pleasure. and it's been a really fascinating interview. And, um, yeah, 
take care and it's always nice to talk to you warren thank um, you anytime Mike. thank you all the best Thank you.